At the end of the Bible, you find the book of Revelation. The Bible is made up of scores of authors writing over a couple of thousand years with one great message. God loves you. God loves you enough to rescue you through, from sin, Satan, death and hell. And he does it through sending Jesus the rescuer. The Bible tells us that if we turn, trust, follow, love Jesus, then we will be saved forever. That's the message. And over those 66 books, there's history books and legal books and poetry books and eyewitness accounts. And some of it is prophecy. Some of it is apocalyptic prophecy. At that, a, a foretelling of what will happen. For instance, in the Hebrew Testament, what we refer to as the Old Testament, the, it, it contains something like over 300 prophecies about a future Messiah, a savior anointed by God to deliver people from oppression. The New Testament, of course, opens with the account, this is the birth of Jesus, the savior. The, G the New Testament trumpets the fulfillment of all of those prophecies through the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus himself revealed that he was the promised Messiah. And so those 300 prophecies in the Old Testament were fulfilled in the person of the Saviour Jesus. The last book of the Bible largely talks about what will happen. It is the final book of the canon of Scripture and was likely written towards the very end of the first century AD by John, one of Jesus' nearest and dearest followers, now an old man, exiled because of faith on the penal colony, I knew I'd get that bit wrong, the penal colony Patmos. <laughs> and he's there on one Sunday and he has an experience, a revelation of Jesus. Uh, encounters and visions and moments that will blow your socks off. And so through different visitors, visions and encounters, John sees in vivid imagery and exotic language some of the things that will one day take place. The Jesus who died and resurrected and ascended to God the Father, well, Revelation describes him as the lion and the lamb. Well, this Jesus, says Revelation, wins and keeps on winning. And he is coming back to win, to renew all things again and again and defeat forever. Sin, Satan, death and hell forever. The enemies of God forever and forever. And those that know, love and trust in him will be utterly and forever saved. Revelation 19, which I'm going to read a bit of in, the, in a moment, right near the end of the book of Revelation, uh, we see the culmination of some things. We see the culmination of the fall of Babylon. Now, throughout the Bible, uh, the Bible in some ways is a tale of two cities. 
On the one hand, Jerusalem, the city of God, the city that isn't just a physical location, but in an analogous form, in a picture form, is, is the place where the name and the presence of God has been chosen to dwell. And Babylon, the antithesis, the opposite of Jerusalem, the opposite of all of that. It was like, it pictures, it conjures up, it, it personifies, it demonstrates the, the centre of the world's culture, as opposed to Jerusalem, which was the centre of God's culture. Now, we talk an awful lot about culture, I know, and culture is simply what we and how we do things around here. How we do things around here is what culture pretty much is. And you can have small cultures and you can have huge cultures. You know, your family has a culture. My family does. When um, the clash of cultures happened, when Leanne joined our side of the family for our very first Christmas. Now, Leanne's family at Christmas time opens their presents one at a time. And everyone sits around and watches and and comments and is thrilled at the joy of someone opening an individual present. My family, well, it's a free-for-all. You're just in. And so Leanne's culture and our culture clashed in our very first Christmas that we were together because this is how we do things around here. And our cultures were different. Nevertheless, you should say that uh, we open presents one at a time now. The culture of this world is almost always the opposite of the culture of God. How we do things around here? Well, instead of selfless, love, compassion, truth, justice, wholeness, safety, our world celebrates selfishness and greed, ruthlessness, division and brokenness. We're seeing the trauma of COVID in India hit our television screens right now and thousands are suffering. And on the very next clip, we see all of us in Britain in beer gardens having jabs. In Revelation 19 is the moment when the culture of this world is forever and permanently removed from the presence of God and his people. Turn with me to Revelation 19, will you, for a moment? It says this, after this I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting hallelujah. Salvation and glory and power belong to our God for true and just are his judgments. It talks about how the, the culture of this world, this Babylon is thrown, describes her as a prostitute, someone who's corrupted the, the life of the world. And again, they shouted, hallelujah, the smoke from her goes up forever and ever. The 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne. And they cried, amen, hallelujah. And then a voice came from the throne saying, praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, both great and small. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting hallelujah for our lord god almighty reigns let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready fine linen bright and clean was given her to wear 
Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's people. Then the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. At this, I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said, don't do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and with your brothers and sisters who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for it is the spirit of prophecy who bears witness to the testimony of Jesus. So here's the image of the destruction of everything opposed to God and his plan. So my friends, don't get too comfortable with those things because they're not going to last. And it's the celebration of joy that that removal brings. The Bible calls it the wedding supper of the Lamb. <laughs> A party of joy and exuberance and dancing and food and wine and laughter and brilliance. What a thought. What a future for those who trust in Jesus. And that's why Peter says, if you're going through griefs and struggles and trials and temptations, do not worry, my friends, do not get downcast. It is not the future. The future is joy. So when John gets overwhelmed at the sight and the thought of these things, he gets on his face to worship the angel who's helping communicate these things. And the angel says, whoa, what are you doing? I'm just like you. I'm not God. Don't worship me. We are the same. You and me, you and your Christian family. And it says this word, these words, those people, those Christ followers who, who hold to the testimony of Jesus. He goes on to say about the, the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus is about Jesus. Everything, past, present and future, has its essence in Jesus. And that prophecy that isn't just about Jesus, his rule, his reign, his purposes, isn't real prophecy at all. The spirit of prophecy is that all about Jesus. That's all exciting, isn't it? Imagine a world without anger or hatred or jealousy or war, where there's no pollution or no trafficking of people and children around the world. No sickness or malaise. I saw some photos on my stream the other day of, of a photo, photo competition. It was showing different food in different parts of the world and it was beautiful. And the final photograph was a photograph of a little boy sitting in a rubbish dump, drinking out of a rubbish bottle. And in the midst of all the beauty, you just see all the horror. Imagine, my friends, when strife has gone and bitterness and unforgiveness, when there's no more poverty or tears or sorrow or frustration, all of it has been wiped away and in its place forever. Joy. My fr Christian friends, keep imagining. Keep imagining because your best efforts will leave it sadly short of what it's going to be when we see the real thing one day. There's this fascinating phrase in this passage that I want to just tease out this morning. As a precursor of where we are going over the next few weeks, John hears the angels say that the Christian family present in this joyful forever feast are those that hold to the testimony of Jesus. 
This book was, uh, the, the book of Revelation was originally written in the, the Greek language. It was the predominant language of the, uh, of, the, of the era and the area. And that's useful to know because sometimes the Greek language that the Bible was written in, and the New Testament particularly, uh, will have different connotations and words and, and we're to help us understand those things. But do you know what the brilliant Bible translators have done? They've said, done such a good job. Do you know what the Greek word for to hold means? Well, it means to hold, <laughs> to hold to have, to grasp, to cling to, to have possession of, to hold, to have possession of the testimony, meaning the whole person and message of Jesus, to have Jesus, to hold possession of Jesus, of him, his words, his teaching, his lifestyle, his action. Those that are present in joy forever are those that have held on to Jesus. Hey, now, as a church, we hold on to things, don't we? There are things that we hold on to. They are, they are the statements of, of belief of the apostolic church, the, the denominational family that we belong to. The statement of belief of the apostolic church is called the tenets of the apostolic church. Not tenants. No one's paying rent or squatting. Tenets. Tenets. The word tenet is from the Latin <laughs> tenere means to hold. They are the beliefs that if you remember with this, if you're a follower of Jesus amongst us, you are meant to, to hold to. One of them talks about the virgin birth, the sinless life, the atoning death, the triumphant resurrection, the ascension and abiding intercession of our Lord Jesus Christ is one of and part of one of the tenets, is what we hold to. Meaning, you can say what you like about Jesus, but we're holding on to his virgin birth, his sinless life, his atoning death. You, we hold to that. You get the picture. So with all that said, what are you holding on to? What are you convicted by that you would hold on to and let everything else go? What I'm interested in, in these next few months, is exploring in my life and in your life, what you will be willing to hold on to, and what you're willing to compromise for. Because I bet, like me, your life is full of compromises to what I believe in. And there are many, many, many times when I'll compromise my convictions for very silly things, which makes me wonder whether they were convictions at all. So my desire is that we as a Christian family, that our church family, that our convictions will be stronger than our compromises. And that together, we're gonna hold on to our convictions that will show our belief in, our following of, our desire for, and our plan to please Jesus, our Saviour and our Master. 
One of the great silver linings, I guess, of the dark cloud of COVID is that it has accentuated in many ways some bits of the unity of the Church of Jesus Christ. Now, we're not all together in one place and unity means more than physical presence. We might not all, as a church, global, eternal, might not all be together until something like Revelation 19 maybe, but right now we're throughout the world, split and separated and united not by our gatherings or our rhythms or our buildings or our songs, but united by being associated with Jesus. That's kept us connected and on track. It has allowed us to sing and listen and read and listen to and rejoice in the same types of things in many ways throughout the world. You can click on a screen and listen to the same thing as someone else clicking on a screen and listening in, in India or in South Africa or in Russia or somewhere else. And we can be taught and united in various ways together too. A few months ago, I bought a book that kept following me around. Has that ever happened to you? You see it everywhere. Every time you click on Amazon, it's there. Or you hear someone talk about it, or your podcast feed displays something similar. Well, I, I picked up A Beautiful Resistance by John Tyson, an Australian church planter in New York City, pastor of church in the city, a great preacher, a gifted writer. And so I kept seeing this book and that happens to me again and again. Sometimes these things happen and eventually I bought it. And uh, within the first few pages of reading it, I was in tears because I knew God was speaking to me. I read it and he has. And I've shared it with our leadership team because he has spoken. And, uh, and I've shared it with other pastors because he has spoken. My friends, over the next few months, we're going to be focusing on some of the convictions that must be stronger than the, the propensity to compromise in our weak, flabby, spiritually deflated, emotionally drained, crisp-eating lives. Convictions must be stronger than our compromises. And so we're going to journey through some of the stuff that John Tyson raises about worship, how, how, about how, how worship must be stronger than, than idolatry, how hospitality must be stronger than fear, how love must be stronger than hate, how celebration must be stronger than cynicism, and how hunger must be stronger than apathy. They must happen. How? Well, Tyson calls for something he refers to as a beautiful resistance. Not a war with ourselves and this culture, however ravaged culture is, one day, my friends, it's utterly gone. No, rather, rather a beautiful resistance. Then what does it look like for a group of fairly ordinary people like you and me in a church community in Bridgen, South Wales, to live out a conviction that honour must resist contempt, or that rest must resist exhaustion. We're, we're about to show two cultures, the kingdom of Christ's and the kingdom of this world.
Jerusalem, if you like, and Babylon. And how, as Christ followers, we can be part of this, this glorious, beautiful, incredible resistance movement in a culture dominated by the world, not with arrogance or with fear, but as beneficiaries of the reality that only one is going to win in the end, and as participants in the kingdom culture now that brings Jesus into the centre of all things making everything better. Wouldn't you want to invest your life into conviction rather than compromise? Jesus tells the story in Luke chapter 8 about the sower and the seed, the farmer and the seed, the one who goes out and sows seed. You may know this. The seed falls on different types of ground, hard, rocky, weed-filled, good. And different reactions take place when the seed begins to germinate and grow. The seed that falls on good soil, says Jesus, stands for those with a noble heart, a noble and good heart, who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. Hear, retain, persevere. Jesus goes on to say in the next sentence, no one lights a lamp and hides it in a clay jar or puts it under bed. Instead, they put it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light for there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. Therefore, Consider carefully how you listen. My friends, Jesus is saying that a good crop is produced in the lives of people's hearts when they, they hear, they listen, they retain and they persevere. And in that doing so, they don't hide it away, but they live like a light on, this, on a stand. Will you hold to the testimony of Jesus in a post-lockdown Britain? With everything being opened and a world of compromise awaiting, will you? Will you hold? Will you choose to examine your life in the light of hearing, retaining, persevering? So where am I compromising? And where are my convictions? One of our, no doubt, favourite psalms is Psalm 139, the psalm which talks about the glorious, creative power and brilliance of God. And the psalm tells us that God is everywhere, sees everything, is invested in everyone, but it ends with this prayer, search me, O God. And so, over the next few weeks, we are going to explore together some of the beautiful things that we can actively practice in our lives that become part of the resistance movement to a world blind and intent on self-centered catastrophe and in doing so we'll be so radically beautifully different that jesus will will shine from us like a light on a stand wouldn't we want that with our words our works and our wonders to make us more like jesus and bring many to his saving grace. One of our church leaders came across this quote the other day. I love it. And I share it with you now 
because I'm hugely challenged by it. And I'd love it to become the provocative mantra of our church family. It says this, if you do not have a radical commitment to Jesus as Lord, which effectively is compromise, is conviction over compromise, what we hold on to. Do we hold on to Jesus more than anything else? If you do not have a radical commitment to Jesus as Lord, then everything we do in this church is going to annoy you. My friends, we're on it. I hope it doesn't sound too heavy, too off-putting, because what we're really doing, what the real thing is, is that we're preparing for a wedding. <laughs> a great, big, glorious feast. And not to get to or in one day in the very distant future. No, no, no. Because Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is come, is near, is here. We get to enjoy Jesus and live in him now. And so let us pray and ask God in this month ahead of prayer to search us. And as we are taught, may we listen, retain, persevere. May we be changed so that our lives might beat of conviction and resist compromise. Now may God begin the work in us now. And so take a moment with me. And let us pray, Lord, Search me. Search me. Where am I compromising? Where am I failing to hold on to Jesus? Help me to put it right now. And in the weeks and months ahead, change me, change us. Search us, O oh God. See if there's any offensive way in us and lead us in the paths everlasting. It's going to be a really, really, really great teaching series. A beautiful resistance. And so may you pray now that during our times over these next few weeks and months, we are intentionally connected together so that together we can see a world changed, our worlds changed because of the brilliant reality of Jesus. God bless you.